He sent forth his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Psalm 107 verse 20. The message you're about to hear is a straightforward, down-to-earth and insightful teaching by Adelaide Heward-Mills. Adelaide serves under her husband, Bishop Dag Heward-Mills, as a pastor at the Lighthouse Chapel International. Adelaide is a handmaiden of God and is privileged to have been used by God to pastor and to speak the Word of God, both nationally and internationally, to all ages and gender. She has a plethora of messages on many issues, experiences, and situations of life from God's perspective. Get ready to be transformed as you listen to this message by God's anointed handmaiden, Adelaide Heward Mills. Hallelujah. Can the worship choir just give us a worship song? As we concentrate on him and on his presence here with us, we thank him for the gift and opportunity to pray and to wait on him. And we just want to give him some worship. We want to forget about ourselves and all the things that concern us. And we want to say that he's the only one who really matters.
be a Christian. But he needs to take over. He's Lord of a certain department. He needs to be Lord of all. absolute and total control of our lives. We give you the pleasant things that we have to walk through. We give you the pleasant moments of our lives. We give you our spirits, our souls, our bodies, everything that goes to make us Lord. Come live in us and take over. Because when we have directed our own paths, we have run into problems. But we call you because you are Christ, the wisdom of God and the power of God. Have your way in the lives of your people. And give us a heart that desires your will. Give us a heart that is not afraid of God's will for our lives. Give us grace to embrace your will. For when your son was in the garden, he said, if it is possible, because he was human. And your word says that you know our frame and you remember that we are dust. But if you will give us the strength that it takes, and you will give us the grace that it takes, we know that we can overcome. May we be malleable in your hands. May we be pliable in your hands. May our strong wills be broken through by the Holy Spirit. And may we be what you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Please take your seats. Praise the Lord. We still have an attitude of prayer. It's good to pray. Some of you have not prayed for a long time. So we thank God that this prayer time was organized so that you can pray. Amen. Well, I want to speak to you about, daughter, what do you see? 
Daughter, what do you see? Hallelujah. We're going to do some reading. You must love to read the word of God. Every time I say the meeting was powerful, when they ask you, what did they say? So Lady Pastor was powerful. But you must be able to share the word of God and transmit it to other people. Amen. Amen. Let's read Exodus chapter 2. Daughter, what do you see? Vision, what do you see? Amen. Exodus chapter 2. It's good when women meet not to gossip but to pray. Amen. Hallelujah. Not to just share their problems and how bad their husbands are, but to pray. It makes all the difference. Amen. <laughs> Exodus chapter 2, reading from verse 1. Now a man from the house of Levi went and married a daughter of Levi. And the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was beautiful, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got him a wicker basket and covered it over with tar and pitch. Then she put the child into it and set it among the reeds by the bank of the Nile. And his sister stood at a distance to find out what would happen to him. Then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the Nile with her maidens walking alongside the Nile. And she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maid and she brought it to her. And when she opened it, she saw the child and behold, the boy was crying, and she had pity on him, or compassion, and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go ahead. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. And the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she named him Moses and said, Because I drew him out of the water. Now it came about in those days when Moses had grown up, that he went out to his brethren and looked on their hard labors. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that. And when he saw there was no one around, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And he went out the next day, and behold, two Hebrews were fighting with each other. And he said to the offender, why are you striking your companion? But he said, who made you a prince or a judge over us? Are you intending to kill me as you kill the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and said, surely the matter has become known. When Pharaoh heard of this matter, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the presence of Pharaoh and settled in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters. Pray that you don't have so many. And they came to draw water and fill their troughs to water their father's flock. Amen. Amen. So we keep our finger, then we go to Hebrews chapter 11. Okay? Don't get tired of reading the word. Amen. 23 to 27. 
By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. Amen. Amen. He endured as seeing him who is unseen. And when you read verse 23, the Bible says, because they saw that he was a goodly child. And then the last place you're reading from is um, Acts chapter 7. Okay? Acts chapter 7. Don't be tired. Acts chapter 7. I don't want to preach my ideas. I want to preach God's word. Because my ideas will not help in the time of storms. Acts chapter 7, 15 to 35. And Jacob, are we there? And Jacob went down to Egypt and there passed away he and our fathers. And from there they were removed to Shechem and laid in the tomb which Abraham had purchased for a sum of money from the sums of Hamor in Shechem. But as the time of the promise was approaching, which God had assured to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt. Until there arose another king over Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph. It was he who took shrewd advantage of our race and mistreated our fathers so that they would expose their infants and they would not survive. And it was at this time that Moses was born. And he was lovely in the sight of God. And he was nurtured three months in his father's home. And after he had been exposed, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and nurtured him as her own son. And Moses was educated in all the learning of the Egyptians. And he was a man of power in words and deeds. But when he was approaching the age of 40, it entered his heart to visit his brethren, the sons of Israel. And when he saw one of them being treated unjustly, he defended him and took vengeance for the oppressed by striking down the Egyptian. And he supposed that his brethren understood that God was granting them deliverance through him, but they did not understand and on the following day, he appeared to them as they were fighting together. And he tried to reconcile them in peace, saying, Men, you are brethren. Why do you injure one another? But the one who was injuring his neighbor pushed him away, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? You do not mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday, do you? And at this remark, Moses fled and became an alien in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. And then we jump that to 35. This Moses, whom they, they disowned saying, 
who made you a ruler and a judge is the one whom God sent to be both a ruler and a deliverer with the help of the angel who appeared to him in the thorn bush. Amen. Amen. Daughter, what do you see? The Bible says that a man from the house of Levi just woke up and went and saw a woman from the house of Levi called Jochebed and married her. And when he married her, she just conceived and gave birth to a son. And then with all that unfolded, that son was called Moses. I have seen and I keep stressing the fact that God does supernatural things in very natural settings. And so I'm sure to Moses' father, he had just met a girl he liked. And it was a very natural happening. It's like, oh, a man has to get married at a certain age. And I think I'm just of marriageable age. And I just met this woman. And I just married her. But thank God that he married a daughter also from the tribe of Levi. Because it's very important that you both believe the same things. And you are both going the same direction. But many times we look at what does he have? How educated is he? You know, I tell my husband sometimes that, you know, I married you at the wrong time. I should have waited when you are established and then I say yes. <laughs> because when you marry them early, you see all the unattractive things in ministry, in the life around you, you know. You don't have much comfort. But the people will come later. You see, things are settled. Even how a first lady behaves, it's already demarcated for you. But when you come new, you don't know what to do. You just have to be a Christian and believe God and learn on the job. But when you come later, I say, oh, this is how to behave. This is where to sit. This is what your job is easier. Hallelujah. <laughs> but the women of today, they want to zzz. What do you have? Amen. I want an already made man. I don't want a man that has to be worked on. You know, a major work like that. Easy, fast food, drive-through marriages. It's not drive-through weddings, so, but drive-through marriage. You want the marriage to be a drive-through marriage. The wedding itself, America, you have drive-through weddings. But drive-through marriage is the one that you want to just drive through and things happen. But it's not like that. Amen. So Moses' father saw the mother and said, I'll marry you. And many times we are going about seemingly natural things. And God uses those things to shape his purpose for our lives. When you look at Saul, his father's asses were missing. Forgive me for that word in America. His father's donkeys were missing. And he was looking for them. And when he went here, they were not there. He went here, they were not there. And then the servant says, let's go and see a prophet and give him a gift. When we give him a gift, it will provoke the prophetic, and the prophet will show us where the donkeys are. But God was intentionally leading him to the prophet because God had chosen him to be more than somebody looking for donkeys, but to be the king of Israel. Hallelujah. But it started out with running an errand for his father. and started out with going after donkeys. Seemingly, things that you don't see a Holy Ghost in, you don't see anything supernatural about, but it's because we are natural beings. We have to look out for God's hands in your life. You didn't just walk into the church. Oh, 
I just saw a church and I thought I would flow and I just walked. I believe that God has a purpose for you. You didn't just get married. God has a purpose for your marriage. Your marriage is supposed to also extend the kingdom of God and bring his purposes to pass. But how come you just think, oh, it's just me and, you know, why did I marry this damn fellow to start with? But God has a purpose in all of it. And some of us, God has been trying to work on you. And it's not working. So you have to use a difficult marriage to break your will. Amen. When you say remote control, press, it doesn't work. And if our lives were in our own hands, we would delete a lot of things. As your wife, your life rolls on the DVD, you say, this part, delete. I wouldn't like to go. This one, fast forward, jump over this issue. This one, rewind. It's so nice. And we will keep on rewinding our lives around the pleasurable things. But that's not how God works. Amen. Amen. And so seemingly natural things arrest you. You know, in my own life, like my brother, Prophet Baden, I had been preaching to him, praying for him, give your life to Christ. Oh, my brothers were unbelievers. And I was this solitary believer in the house. And they would be asking, their friends would be asking them, so your sister, is happy? It's a pigeon way of, is your sister happy with the type of life she leads? Yeah, it looks like she's happy. But we don't know why. Hey, she doesn't have a boyfriend. She doesn't go to nightclubs. How can she be happy? I am happy speaking my tongues away from my meetings. And then you are also having a conference on me. And I don't think I have a problem. You think I have a problem. You know, and sometimes my mother would weep and say, when will Kakra be born again? Mommy, you must pray. I said, I don't know that I can do. So now I'm just praying. And my husband and I, both had siblings on each side who were not born again. So we said, we'll pray for them till they give their lives to Christ one day. But I always say that as I arrange the people in my family, we'll get born again first. Pastor Kakra was the last. <laughs> and Pastor Payne was the first because he has a very easy going, you know. So when I look, I said, this one, Christ can reach him easily. But this one, he's very hard. He doesn't say much, but he's very hard, you know. Go and chase the neighbor's uh, daughter. Then the neighbor will be calling our issues. <laughs> you know, call the neighbor's house, make its voice like a girl. And the neighbor will say, Kakra, I know it's you. <laughs> so one day my beloved came to visit me because we were in a town outside where we went to school and where we lived. So Bishop came to visit me. And he came in his car, his Renault 4. When he came to visit me, I said, oh, my beloved just arrived. It's early in the morning. So Pastor Kakra, he seems to have passed, you know, through mud, the dirt roads and things. So take this water hose and just do over the car for me. And at that time, my dad used to hide his car keys. Because when they go, you don't know when they will come. You know? And so he said, oh, yes, willingly. I said, today he's very willing. Maybe it's because it's bishop. So I gave Bishop breakfast, we chatted. Then I said, let's go and visit my big sister across. You know, she lives not far from us, like five minutes. Let's go. So we came out, the car was not there. <laughs> the car has disappeared. I felt so embarrassed. And then my beloved turned and said, oh, is that how your brothers are? <laughs> they are very wild, though. I said, well, I don't know why he's done this. <laughs> In those days, there were no cell phones. So I said, oh, I'm sure he'll come soon. Let's wait for him. Hey, 
15 minutes, 30, 45, one hour. Then he comes to the gate, beep, beep. And the security guard opens the door. And then my, driver, my brother drives in. I'm like dying. And then when he comes in, we are still inside, so he comes to where we are. And I said, Kakra, why did you do this? So when I washed it, then I wanted to test it. <laughs> you are not even shy to say what you are saying. So my husband sat him down and said, you know, you've been running away from Christ. Don't you think it's time to give your life to Christ? My brother just melted. He was sober. He said, I think it's time. And there and then he gave his life. And later he told me that when he took the Renault 4 and he was going, he went to pick his buddies in the area. That some Crefe boy who doesn't know what to do has brought himself fully in this car. And then when they put on the music, Crefe music, then the friend said, What is that? Change it. And when he changed it, preach it. Oh, kept changing. He said, It looks like the car cries. Boy, let's take it to its owner. And he believes that the anointing and the presence of God in the car made God start working on him. And as soon as he became born again, he became very radical, very serious, you know. And when he finished architecture, my father had jobs for him. Because my father has a lot of connections. So whatever profession you get into, he has connections for you and clients and all that. And Pastor Kaka said, Daddy, I have to go into full-time ministry. What? This one was the last on the list. And meanwhile, my choice of Pastor Payne, he was working as a lawyer, but he was not born again at all. When I spoke to him, Pastor Kakra has become born again. What about you? He said, as for my reggae, I know fit leave. <laughs> I know fit leave the reggae. And they used to go and practice instruments. And anyway, Pastor Kuchulin said, who today is also sitting here like this? And Kaka said, if I don't preach, I will die. I said, why do you say that? He said, because I had a supernatural encounter. I heard God speak. It's not like, you know, I had a conviction. I think I, it wasn't like that. I said in my head, as for you, that's the only way God can reach you. Because you are so hard. And sometimes he would go upstairs to the rooftop to wait on God. He would come running and trembling. And on one occasion, he went into the wardrobe because it was too much. The presence of God was too much. It had and up to today, when people hear he's born again, they are not coming to attend the service. They are coming to see. Is it true? It's seemingly natural things, which started with taking a car you shouldn't take, going to pick your friends, things that, through that, God meets you. And the Bible says that when Jochebed conceived, that's Moses' mother, and she gave birth, she saw he was a goodly child. Many of us, when we are under pressure, we are not likely to see that something is good. We would think that Moses was born at the wrong time. How am I going to keep such an inconvenience? It's going to cry. A baby. And Herod says that every Hebrew child should be killed. Because they are becoming too mighty. They are multiplying. And every Hebrew male child should be killed at birth. But somehow, the midwives were favoring the Hebrew children and they were not being killed. 
And Moses came at a time like this. And what we read from Acts 7 says that at the time when the people multiplied, at the time of the promise, as it was approaching, which God had promised to Abraham. So for us, it's just a historic event. You know, Pharaoh has changed. He doesn't know Joseph. And he's, but God was looking at his promise to Abraham. But if Moses' mother looked, she may not understand or fit it into the puzzle that this piece has to fit here so that God's promise to Abraham. And sometimes we don't know the promises and the covenants God has made and how we fit into that place and why you must go under that pressure that you are going into is so that the puzzle will come together. It says at the time when the promise was approaching, when the promise is approaching, that's when you get the greatest pressure. Even in labor, in the last moment when you have to push, Nabi, isn't it? And when they say push, it's like, that's the time you need the most energy. The, and the, the time of the most intense pain is the time when the delivery is coming. And often we give in at the time just before. Every promise has a time. And the Bible says as the time of the promise was approaching. And God remembered his promise to Abraham. The people began to multiply. But it looks like, oh, it's just they are happy and then they are just populating the earth. But it was the time of promise. And as that was happening, the people multiplied. The king forgot about Joseph. And Moses' mother had him at a time of great pressure. And at a time, until there arose another king. You see, until. Things happen. And then God says, until. You, you're okay, but until. Now the promise must come. The people must leave Egypt. They are, they are just for just a season. In God's calendar. And the only way they can leave is for a pharaoh to bring pressure. Because if it is well with them, they are in Goshen, they have the best land, they will not move. But God said, your people will become strangers in another land. And after 430 years, I will come and get them out. So after 430 years, you come, you don't understand it. Because 430, I mean, you were not there when Abraham, the promise was made to Abraham. But God is looking at the whole world, not just your small world. And he's looking at how you will fit into that big world, that big pattern that he has. But you are just looking into your small voice. It's me, my husband, my children, my life, my... No. Hallelujah. Amen. And the Bible says, when she saw that he was a goodly child, she hid him. She could have seen pressure. She could have seen a problem. She could have seen inconvenience. Because the baby... Three months, they wake up in the night. They cry. And if Herod's, Herod's guards are going around, they are likely to find you. And not only will they kill the baby, they may kill you, kill your children. You have 25 reasons why you must not hide your Moses. 70 reasons why you must not even keep that thing. But in the midst of seemingly opposing situations, if you can see a good thing and recognize a lovely thing, that does not look lovely because of the setting. You see, Jochebed was not just behaving like a mother. Everybody has maternal instincts. Let me just keep the baby. Let me just. But it was her belief system that was pushing her action. So we cannot act the same way. But the motive behind what we do may be different. Amen. And her motive was, the Bible says, by faith. Moses' parents 
when they gave birth to him. And the Bible says because he was lovely in God's sight. So they saw what God sees. Daughter, what do you see? When you look at the church, do you see only mistakes, criticism, faults? Is that all that you see? Have you forgotten how God has used the church to bless you? I have been blessed so much by the church of God. And by the people that God has brought my way. I've been blessed. My life has been enriched. Hallelujah. And I'll not have it any other way. There may be some people who are some way. There may be some situations. But it doesn't change the fact that it is a goodly child. It's a good thing. You won't have a perfect environment. But still your Moses can be a goodly child. What do you see? Amen. Some of you, your marriage, maybe 80% is okay, but all that you see is a 20%. And you will never have a perfect marriage because you are two imperfect people. Even God, who is perfect, relating to you is not easy. One perfect and one imperfect. God is having many problems with you. Sometimes you suspect him. Sometimes you think he doesn't care. Sometimes you think he has forgotten about you. Sometimes you don't trust. That's God. God Almighty. And you think such thoughts about him, how much more another human being? It's likely to a holy God who has not sinned before. But you still have some thoughts. Sometimes you are not sure of him. Sometimes you wonder where he's taking you to. Sometimes you ask, is it really worth it? How much more another human being? I'm okay. I'm okay. <laughs> when she saw that he was a goodly child. Sometimes you should also see where your marriage is going. You've argued, you've quarreled. It's not getting solved. Can you not see that you should change your methods? Hallelujah. The Bible says that rebuke a scorner and he will hate you. So sometimes your spouse or your mate is a scorner in certain things that you are trying to bring a change about. The person doesn't see. And as you are rebuking the scorner, who is scorning your opinion? You keep on. Can you not see that it's not working? says rebuke a, a wise man and he will love you. So then you have to decide that this is my method. It seems to be getting things worse. And this my method is not working. So maybe I have to use another method. It's not that you are not right. But your methods are wrong. Amen. And I see many people get to that intractable place. Say, lady pastor he's wrong. My judgments are right. I will never move from what. What, what about what he's doing? It's very bad. I said that the Bible says. If you suffer for doing right, blessed are you. So it means sometimes you can be doing right, but you will suffer for it. I would say if you suffer for doing right, blessed are you. But you are not seeing it that way. This marriage, this is the only solution. This is the only way to solve it. I'm going to go on that road. The road is not working. What do you see? And you are not seeing. You are still going. When you finish, you sit in ashes. And this is not where I plan to be. You didn't plan, but your methods brought you. Yeah to that place. Hallelujah. Amen. And when God called Abraham, Abraham also had his doubts. He said, I don't have any heir, except this Eli Eliezer, the, the servant of Damascus. How is he going to do anything? And then God said, come out. What do you see? He said, I see the stars. He could have seen the darkness because it's the dark skies that make the stars come out. But what do you see? Hallelujah. Do you see your life as spirit, soul, and body? Or you see your life as only a body, physical? I just came here. And I'm just walking through. And sometimes when you are young, you just have that notion that 
there's a lot of time. And life is very long. And nothing bad will happen. And uh, you're not supposed to be pessimistic, but I've come to see that things happen suddenly. Because as I walk through with different church members, I see that we don't plan for certain things. You know, there's a very young doctor I went to visit. And he was sick. And the doctor was telling me, he's in his late 20s. As a beloved, was getting ready to marry. And he has a, a motor disease or something like all your nerves just collapse. You know, so he told me. When I was in medical school and we came to Kolebu, I decided to join Lighthouse Chapel. I was already a Christian, but I decided to join the church and to flow. And as I was flowing in that, learning and all that, this disease hit me. And before I could write my final paper, my left hand wouldn't function. Yeah. My right hand wouldn't function. So I had to learn to write with my left hand. But the exam was just two days away. Lady Pastor, I asked God for grace. I took the pen. I started to write. After a few lines, I was writing as if I was a left-handed person. Wow. And I could see that people with two hands did not even know the answers. But I was just going along. I finished and I passed as a doctor. And I started to work. But when I started to work, my other hand also started to go away. And when I went to visit him, I called him, I'm coming. I'm on my way to Koforido. I've reached halfway. I just wanted you to know. So I feel like weeping to think of it that you are visiting me because he's, he's in the Kolebu church, but he's not in the main branch. And I didn't know him personally, but somebody had come to tell me about him. And so we went on a pastoral visit. I'm so happy. I even want to cry. You are come, so I went. When I got there, I said, so how is it? This lady pastor, it's not easy. And I reached out to hug him. And he said, I cannot hug you, but my two hands don't function. I cannot. And I said, my God. He said, you know, the most trying thing about this disease is that I've become so dependent on people. And I have to tell you that when you were coming, I was using the bathroom. And I wanted somebody to come and clean me quickly before you got here. And everybody had deserted the house. And the boy supposed to wait on me was on another compound. So I had to shout, I'm in the toilet. Come and clean me. Me, a doctor. And I was, my heart was also racing that you would get here. And then all these things would be going on. You know, but eventually the boy came. He just cleaned me and then has brought me. And you've come to meet me here. He said, my beloved, I just told her she should look for somebody else to marry. Because, and she's just crying. Lady Pastor, you women, your love is mysterious. Because she says that unless it's the end, she's not leaving me. And she's always coming, caring for me. I cannot drive. He said, the day before you came, I went to Kolebu. I broke down and I wept because I saw all my mates in their white coats walking about and they brought a wheelchair for me. And they wheeled me through my department. And I couldn't believe it. I said, so if he calls you, are you ready? I've been ready six times. I've asked him to take me away six times because if I go to heaven, it will be a joyous experience. 
but if he also wants to heal me, I'm ready. And I said, but doctors, you know so much. So your faith wavers. So Lady Pastor, my mind fights against my faith. Then he started to speak verses. By the time we left, he had rather preached to us than we to him. And he said to me, you know, when I had one hand, we went on an outreach, the church, to Tamale. We went to preach. I used one hand to drive my mates to Tamale. Tell Bishop that I say I thank him for drawing my attention to what really matters. Because I didn't know that I'll be staring death in the face somehow and feel that life is so short. I'm only 20-something, my late. I've not even gotten married. And 1st July is a few weeks away, and that is, that's supposed to be my wedding day. Lady Pastor, I thank God that I can look and say, I saved him. I don't know what his judgment will be, but I can look and I can say that I saved him because I had opportunity. And I would like to tell everybody to serve him. But because of the kind of church I joined, it gave me opportunity, which I took. I said, does anybody in your family have this? No. Did you see it coming? No. He said, my mates call me their job. Because when they come, I strengthen them. And they go away. I tell you, I was so shaken. So broken. But it made me see how short our lives are. And how, it's not that we should have a pessimistic view of life, but opportunity. Opportunity to minister, opportunity to speak into somebody's life. Even if the person insults you, it's okay. You did your part. When he said, I thank God because I had opportunity and I took it. I have preached to many. I have witnessed. Lady Pastor, I'm ready. I said, hey. And he looks well. And then they said that the last stage will be that his tongue will fall in. And that will be it. But last week I saw his mates two weeks ago. I said, How is he? Strong. Well. We can't explain. When you see me, he looks very well. Very well. But he kept saying, I took the opportunity. He said that if it's medicine, both unbelievers, Sai Baba, Hindu, Hindu, everybody does medicine. That's good. But if it's Christian good, then it's another dimension. It's winning souls. It's bringing people together. As for ordinary good, bringing the love of God, Muslims do it, Hindus do it. We are all on the world together. But if it's bringing the love of Jesus, that's another opportunity. What do you see? When she saw that he was a goodly child, Abraham came and said, what do you see? The darkness and the skies are larger than the skies. And he could have said, I see that it's evening and that it's dark. But when God said, what do you see? He said, I see the stars. And God said, so shall thy descendants be. Some of us are too skewed and too negative in our outlook on life. That you are so centered on what you don't have. You don't see what you have. Amen. Amen. You are so centered on what is wrong with the church. What's wrong with your pastor? What's wrong with your spouse? What's wrong with your children? What's wrong with your lady pastor? What's wrong with everything around you? But it's usually 20%. Most Christian wives have very good husbands, but they don't see. Because we are busy working on the 20 so that you will become acceptable. Amen. But when you look in the world and you compare, you will say, hey, 
Who could have tamed a, more, a boy like this? It's only the Holy Ghost. Oh, yeah. Michael, amen. amen. <laughs> <laughs> only the Holy Ghost can tame a person for him to say that, oh, I surrender. A greater than himself has arrested him. What do you see? Hallelujah. Let's go to Numbers chapter 13. Amen. When she saw that he was a goodly child, she hid him. Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13. And how long is life? You will quarrel in your marriage. Then when you finish, you come and sit by the coffee. Oh, coffee. I see it all the time. Oh, coffee. Coffee for you rise up from And you know, many women confide in me, so they say, it's a mommy, oh, if only God would give me another chance. I'd rather have coffee with all his problems than for him to be gone. I'd rather have my wife with all her problems than for what has happened. Amen. Somebody said, I would wake up my wife from the grave and give her an offering because this second one I'm not seeing top. It's too late to wake her up to give her an offer. She has gone to be with Jesus. <laughs> hey, women, women, give the offering now for them to go shopping. Numbers <laughs> chapter 30. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> now we know this story very well where Joshua sent the 12 spies and 10 came back the Bible says with an evil report and the 2 came back with another report but I want us to read it Numbers chapter 13 Verse 25. <laughs> Sister, receive it. When they returned from spying out the land at the end of 40 days, they proceeded to come to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the sons of Israel in the wilderness. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Thus they told him and said, We went into the land where you sent us. And it certainly does flow with milk and honey. And this is its fruit, nevertheless. Hmm. But the people who live in the land are strong. And the cities are fortified and very large. And moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Amalek is living in the land of the Negev and the Hittites. And the Jebusites and the Amorites are living in the hill country. And the Canaanites are living by the sea and by the side of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, We should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we shall surely overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are too strong for us. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone in spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people who we saw in it are men of great size. There also we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak. 
The sons of Anak are part of the Nephilim, and we became like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. Amen. Amen. Verse 6, And Joshua the son of Nun, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, of those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. And they spoke to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, saying, The land which we passed through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us as a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not fear the people of the land, for they shall be our prey. Their protection has been removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. But all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Then the glory of the Lord appeared in the tent of meeting to all the sons of Israel. Hallelujah. Amen. Now what the people went out to spy, it was true that there were sons of Anak in it. It was true that the men were of a great size. But what God had promised to them was the land. And they had brought the fruit of the land. And they had said, as for fruitful, it is fruitful. As for milk and honey, it has milk and honey. Nevertheless, there are sons of Anak in it. But one thing they said, said it devours its inhabitants. How did you go and meet inhabitants there? If it devours its inhabitants. So usually, we exaggerate the negative. And we blow out of proportion our fears and the seemingly negative things. Daughter, what do you see? Amen. They said that the land devours its people. And they also said that we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. It is not God who gave them the sight. They saw the problem, looked at themselves and not their God, and said, and grasshoppers are easy to step on. And said, we saw ourselves as grasshoppers, and so we were to them. The way you see yourself is how people will also receive you. And so we were to them. But Joshua and Coden say that it's not true that they are giants. You know, it, it doesn't mean that you should say, oh, there are no giants. Actually, the people are midgets and dwarfs. And, and, and it's not so frightening. And it's, No, they said that it is true. It is true that the people are great. We saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak. And it's true that, but he says that, if the Lord is pleased with us, God's weapons are not our weapons. So if God is pleased with us, he will give us the land. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. He says, do not fear the people of the land, for they shall be our prey. Why? Their protection has been removed from them. The only reason why they would win is not because there are no giants, but their protection is not with them. Their protection has been removed from them. And the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And it says that they, sh they are like bread for us. So the only reason why they were going to conquer was because the Lord was with them. That if the Lord was pleased with them, he would give them the land and the people's protection. Although they were great, they were giants, they had no protection around them. He said, these people are like prey. They are like bread for us. Why? Because their protection has been. So the way we process information leads to the way we see things. Daughter, what do you see? When you look in yourself, do you see anything God can use? I keep saying it, and we always think, oh, it's natural things. And we keep on living in our natural and carnal states. And we never think that there's something that God would want to use. It's not that 
God wants you to feel good. So come and let me show you that you can also be used. No, he has a plan. And you are supposed to play your part. That's what it's about. It's not that, oh, come, I don't want you to feel sad. So let me give you something to do. No, you've got to fit into his plan. And his plan was from creation. And you are a part of the puzzle. And so if you give us, I won't do, I won't do, how can it be? Daughter, what do you see? Do you see grasshoppers? Do you see the giant-sized people? Or do you see that their protection has gone away from them? And the Lord is with us. The Bible says when she saw that it was a goodly child, she hid him. There are times when God hides you. There are times when God releases you. It is not every time that you have to be exposed. Because early exposure can destroy you. Premature exposure can put an end to who you should be. And God often do, does us a favor by putting us in places where we are not seen. But we think that to be seen as being anything in the house of God, you must be seen. So people don't like to be prayer warriors. They like to be choristers. Because you will be seen. People don't like to intercede. But they like to be seen. But the best um, benefit or favor you can do a seed is to put it in the soil. Because it is at that place that the seed will flourish. When she saw that he was a goodly child, she hid him. And God will seem to hide you in many times. He won't expose you. He won't give you a certain stage to stand on. He knows why. And it's his timing. So she hid him because to expose him at that time, Moses will be killed. So he asked, I, I have a vision. I've seen that he's a goodly child. He's a child of destiny. So let me proclaim him to Egypt. You can't do that. Your Moses will be destroyed. Sometimes God tells us things. The Bible says, Mary, she hid those things in her heart and pondered over them. Sometimes God gives you a prophecy, but when you go and tell people, say, you minister to thousands, where? How would that happen? You? It's not time to share your dream. It's time to hide it in your heart. When you hide it in the wrong place, it will not flourish. When you hide it in your heart, that is the seat of your being. And it will nurture and flourish in your heart. When she saw that it was a goodly child, she hid it. And then the Bible says, when she could no longer hide it, she made a wicker basket. The same Moses, there are times when you can hide it, and there are times when you can no longer hide it. But do we know the times of the seasons? When it's three months, he's weaned. He doesn't now depend on his mother for breast milk by all means. He has next support. And so somebody taking him can take him easily. And so when he became three months, she saw that now this child is maturing. I can no longer hide it. I'm going to be found out now. And she made a wicker basket and put Moses in it. Sometimes your contribution to the ministry may be a wicker basket. But it will preserve the Moses. And that Moses will come and save generations yet unborn. But you don't see it that way. So this small thing that I'm giving, this small thing that I'm doing, even they don't appreciate it, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It's God yeah. who matters. Yeah. The Father who sees in secret reward you openly. You know, sometimes people look at me and Reverend Ogo was telling me one, Sister Mami, in fact, since my wife came to work in your office, hey, I've seen another aspect of the ministry. I mean, I thought that 
You just do daughter conventions and then you are moving home. But since I got into your office, I think that you should publicize what you do. You should make a big and then write it there. This, this, this. Because, you know, I think people think you just breeze in, sit in front. And then when your husband preaches, you, you come on Tuesdays, you are late, always late. <laughs> and then you just sit down and your husband says, and my wife, and this. And then it's like, that's the end. You know, but you have to go behind the scenes to know. But if you are being driven by human appreciation, human whatever, you will never become what God wants you to be. You know? I once went out with my daughter. I picked her up from school. And then we went around because ISI, the foreign guests that had come, were trying to get protocol gifts for them. And the conferences were tense, intensive, and I just had to do these two at the same time. So when I picked her up, I went from shop to shop with her. When we finished, we started the class. Ah, mommy, you don't do anything. You just shop. <laughs> she didn't know where I was coming from. She didn't know how, how early I'd woken up. She didn't know what it entails. She just sees me. Mommy, she just feeds the people. And she just, you know, and she talks. And it must be a very easy life. So for me, to go and pick this up, pick, even making the choice was crazy. But for her, it was just walking through shops. So, ah, oh, mommy, you don't do it. You just buy things. Your work is very easy. <laughs> and I said, oh, when you are a child, you see so little. But you think you know. That's the, the folio. You think that you know, and that's what it is. You know, so I said, oh, when you grow up, you will understand better. So I have to go to school. I have to, but you, you just go through the shops. <laughs> what a life. When she could no longer hide him. It gets to a time when God decides that you can no longer be hid. She made a wicker basket. And I have learned not to look down on what God asked me to do. Yeah. You know, sometimes people come and say, oh, all that you do is to run a kitchen, give people food. How can that be ministry? But I've told you my problems. How when I first came, I was very spiritual. I wanted yeah. to do things. And now I'm just malleable in his hands. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. But I tell my staff, we are one of the most blessed departments. Yeah. Because whether it's Bishop Blake from West Angeles Cathedral, whether it's Donnie McLeckin, no matter who, we have to bring you a tray. And that gives us access. And other people will be struck. I want to see the man of God. I want an autograph. I want, but you come and you even have a personal touch with the man of God. And they call you by first names. Oh, Shelly, oh, Marion, can I have juice? Can I have this? Oh, yeah. So who is your husband? So whatever. And then when they finish and they've eaten and they are full, they bless you. But other people, great, sitting dead, they don't have that. My assistant called me. She said, Mommy, when Donnie McLeckin came, they gave all of us VIP passes. So as people were coming in, from, we were coming from backstage where he was. Yeah. And people were giving us, give him this to autograph. I said, you wait, you five minutes, you ten. You. <laughs> and when we finished, the bandsmen came to the uh, dining room. And we looked after them. Then we looked after Donnie McLeck, and then we just relaxed by him. He was asking us questions. And how did they get there? Through food and water. But you think that it will be a cloud, it will be thunder, it will be. No. Whatever God has given me to do, I do it with joy. And I do it with all my heart. 
and that opens doors. People have come to Ghana now. I was sharing it somewhere. Was it Canada? My, that I went to Trinidad. And Pastor Kwamina and his wife just said that since we came to Ghana, our perspective has changed. I said, really? So the hospitality. Yeah. The reception. Yeah. When we had ISI, the Scottish people who came, the pastor told me, you know, <laughs> we have been so blessed that I just want you to know that when you come to Scotland, we can't meet your standards. Hey. <laughs> I just want you to know before you come. I said, oh, we just did it unto the Lord. And the pastors who came from London, their wives didn't come. They sent me email and said, since our husbands arrived, they have not stopped and ceased to talk about the reception and the hospitality. So whatever it is that you do, God bless you. That is what they said. And then the pastors asked, did you run a protocol school? We don't run any protocol school. They are volunteers. But we go and buy shirts. Let me not tell you all my secrets. <laughs> and we say, all of you are wearing green today. And all of you are butlers. You put your napkins here. You stand here. You say, I mean, before the visitors come, it's not easy for them. You move here. You, why are you here? The, when the visitors come, stop picking your head and your nose. Stop scratching your head. Go and wash your hands. Go and, and when they come, you know, I say, you serve on the right. I've mixed it. You serve on the right and you take the plate away from the left. So that, you must run a school. Would you consider running a school for our ministries? And I say, hey, I'm already tired. <laughs> Before I've come here, I'm tired. But they said, that thing makes us want to come back to Ghana. Sometimes it's not the preaching, it's not the, yeah. but the reception. But you would think it's not a spiritual thing. They came to minister. They came to bring the Holy Spirit, but hospitality. And they said to me, they'll come and pick me up. I said, Pastor, you're coming to pick me up on Saturday. You are preaching on Sunday. Don't worry. Pastor Robert will bring me to where you are. No. No. The kind of treatment you gave us, we have to come for you. So then they came. When they came, then they took me to the mall. Choose any shop. Choose anything you want. Don't think about the bill. We'll pay. But I didn't have anything to buy. <laughs> so as I stood there, I kept thinking. I'm sure my, when I told my children, ah, oh, you should have called us. <laughs> I said, oh, I don't have anything that, and it was genuine, that I have a person in that I want. No. Okay. In this case, we will bless you ourselves. So they took me to a jewelry shop. And they said, buy gold. Buy gold, but don't look at the price. How can I not look at the price? <laughs> you know? So I chose one, and I, I tried to spy the price a bit so that, you know, and they bought gold, everything. Anything else? I said, no, nothing else. Took me out to some plush restaurant. I said, Ghana has changed us. And Avita, Pastor Robert's wife said to me, whatever happened in Ghana is very stupendous because since these people came, they have changed towards us. At first, when they have a program at their church and we go, it's like, oh, be comfortable, sit down. But now, we are put on a pedestal, on stage, somewhere. Ghana has changed them. And they say, you have challenged us. And our own hospitality ministry has changed. Yeah. But when you were doing it, you didn't think that you would meet them. I didn't even think I would go to Trinidad in the first place. It was far. It wasn't part of my thinking. And I didn't think that anybody would say, oh, shop whatever you want. It's not, that's not the motive. But God uses that to bring you before great kings. So whatever you are asked to do, be faithful with it. 
That is what will open doors. Daughter, what do you see? When she saw that it was a goodly child, she hid it. And when she could no longer hide it, she made a wicker basket. And she put the child in it. You must know the no longest in your life. And you must know the times when you can not do anything again. As you walk with God, they'll come to it. You come to a place and a time when you can no longer do certain things. You can no longer give to certain causes. You can no longer have the energy that you need. You know, recently I had to run to catch a train and I realized that I've grown fat. As I was going, I said, what is this? I'm not being able to go swiftly. I was with Lady Pastor Elaine. So later I called her and said, Elaine, I have a problem. I really have to diet. I couldn't run. You know? But there's a season for everything. Yeah. Our marriage is not for eternity. Our relationships are not for eternity. One person will be taken, one will be left. So we have to celebrate it for what it is now. But if you are solving problems every day, when will you have time to enjoy the marriage that God gave you? The Bible says the honor of a king to overlook a matter. There are some things you should just overlook. And your spouse should also overlook certain things. And you're not, this thing, I will kill it before we settle down to marry. You will spend your whole lifetime trying to kill it. <laughs> and young ladies, don't marry with the hope that you are going to kill something. As the marriage comes, the thing flourishes and grows. <laughs> Amen! So, so this one, I like all this about it, but this part, I think we can work on it and we can kill it. Are you the Holy Ghost? <laughs> Do you know how long the Holy Ghost has been struggling with that person before you came on the scene? If God is not winning, how much more you? It is the Holy Ghost's job to change. And it is our job to flow with whatever God does. Amen. And sometimes you have to pray for grace to flow. Because you need grace to flow. Because something that is very contrary to you, you cannot stand it. One lady said to me, my husband, before we married, when he comes to my house and he eats, you know, she was staying on her own. He will ask to use the sink. And when I give it to him, he will wash his mouth and spit into the kitchen sink. And has continued to do so. I said, but didn't you know? He said, I told him I don't like it. So I thought he would change. And usually the things that are easier for us are not easier for the other part. And she said, now my sons have also started to do the thing has become genetic. <laughs> because what they see is what they do. She said, Sata, when I'm sleeping, I can't stand it. I said, now that you have money, break the kitchen, make two things. One for his things. And one for your things. That may be the only thing that will bring progress. You know, but when you are mine, you see, so this is just a small habit. It's workable. It's changeable. Hmm? Look how you have all made your faces. <laughs> when she, she could no longer hide it, she put it on, in a wicker basket and she put it on a river. It's at that stage that the Holy Ghost takes over. It's at that stage that God takes over. You can, you can no longer do anything. It wasn't a sign of abandonment. It was a sign of release. Seeing what you can do and what you can do. The grace of yielding is something you need. Hallelujah. And I'll recommend a book, The Grace of Yielding by Derek Prince. It's a wonderful book. You know, the grace of knowing what you can do and what you can't do. And the grace of seeing that this thing, I cannot do anything about. The way my life is going, if I were the captain and the pilot, I would bring it this other way. 
But I can't. I can no longer. No longer. I've reached the end of myself. Some of us, if God had spoken to us as Abraham, would say that you gave me Isaac. How can you now say you want him as a sacrifice? But often what God gives you, he asks, he asks for it back from you. If he gives you a husband, he will ask for you to give it to him again. And if you give it willingly, it will come back to you in many ways. But Abraham could have said, no, he promised me. He said he would be a child of covenant, a child of promise. How can the same God now say that I should sacrifice him? But Hebrews 11 tells us why he did that. He said he knew that God was able to resurrect Isaac. That was his thinking. Not that I'm going to kill it and I'll have it no more. He knew that when the person takes it, he has the ability to bring it back to life to me. And when the servants asked him, where are we going so that we are going to worship and we will be back? We. That was the father of faith. Hallelujah. And so Jochebed gives the baby, not because, you know, some of us, we do that because we are fed up. I'm fed up. Do what you like, you like to do. Do, do what you, I'm not going to be on an emotional yo-yo again. Do what, but this was a sign of faith. That God, I've done all that I know to do. And now I can no longer hide this baby. It seems that you are forcing my hand and it's a new season. And so I yield. But when I yield, I also send my daughter to watch over. The Holy Ghost watches over the things that you yield. And then the daughter of Pharaoh comes to do an ordinary thing like bathing. See, God is God, oh. But supernatural is natural with super on it. So he uses the natural, he makes it supernatural. So the woman, for the woman, is just a routine. Coming to bathe in the river with her maidens. It's just something she does. But when she comes, she sees the basket. And the Bible says that the baby cries. And when the baby cries, it wins her compassion. And she takes the baby. And then the sister comes and says, shall I look for somebody to nurse this baby for you? The thing that God gave you and you gave away, you will be paid for it. Yes. So when Moses' mother is called, the woman says, take him and look after him for me. It's very ironic. You know that it's yours, but sometimes it's in the hands of somebody else. And you wonder if it's really yours. But God will give it back to you. And then pay you for what you are doing. <laughs> Hallelujah. How can you get wages for looking after your own child? But God brings it back to you in a way that the fear and all that is not part of it. Now you are not afraid that Moses will be discovered. You are not afraid that when the people come, because you recognize the no longest, it has come back to you. And when it comes back to you, it's also another season. Because after the Bible says, when the child grew, Pharaoh's daughter comes back for the child. Sometimes what is yours, you give away as if it's not yours. And Pharaoh's daughter names your child for you. How can that be? Because God will never let you have something that he has given you and then you are the Lord of... No. He won't do that. When he gives you anything, he says to Abraham, give me Isaac. And when Abraham takes the knife, he says, now I know what's in your heart. It wasn't really about killing Isaac. It was really about seeing if you were prepared to sacrifice your Isaac. I always say that my Isaac was not coming into the ministry, but being played by the church. Say, Lala, problem. <laughs> being paid by the church. Father, your name will be on it. 
church payroll. And then when you wear your clothes, it says church. Who told them, were you not living before you? <laughs> Did you have any need before you? And these church members, you know. By the grace of God, you were already going wherever you want to go with your parents before you came into this church. Now when you try to say, ah, it's because of the ministry. Ah, let me earn my own money. And let me preach for free so that they will see that. It's not because of them. Now you tell God, God, you know, it's not you, it's the people. <laughs> if it were not the people who would speak, I would just flow with you. But God met me and said, I want your Isaac. I said, me, do I have an Isaac? I've given everything. No. You haven't given your pride of who you are, where you are coming from, what you have, you know. I'm a self-made woman. I don't depend on anybody. Who told you? Who told you? Even the oxygen you breathe is by the grace of God. My kids came and told mommy, now when we go to school, we say our mother is a pastor. They are not impressed. When we used to say our mother is a lawyer, they say, oh, really? But now when we say she's a pastor, they even say, oh, then both your parents are thieves. The children tell them, then both your parents are thieves. But when I was practicing as a lawyer, they didn't say that. Sometimes I would even go and then David's mates would come to me and, so how does it feel to be like a lawyer? So if you want to be a, a lawyer, what do you do? And, but since I became a pastor, nobody has asked me. <laughs> what does it to be, feel to be a pastor? What does it, it's not part of it. You know, but God told me, you are proud. And give this Isaac to me. And I said, Really? I've given you everything, including my husband. Now you want something else. What kind of God are you? And it wasn't easy. I didn't say, you know, Lady Pastor, she's so spiritual. She just said, oh, God, take it. No. It was a struggle. But at a point in my own closet, I said, Lord, I surrender. It doesn't matter what people say. It doesn't matter what I'm called. It doesn't matter who I am. It all doesn't matter. I just put it on the altar. And I tell you, it's a privilege to represent God Almighty than to represent a client. Hallelujah. It's a privilege. And I meet my mates. I one very bad boy in my class. SRC president moving. I got a text one Sunday morning. Listen to Channel R at 8.30. Channel R. And the person didn't sign over. Who's telling me this? I said, maybe, you know. When the Collegono incidents happened, somebody called me and said, listen to the radio. And when I put it on insults about Bishop, he's this, he's that. Maybe something else has happened. But these days I'm harder and stronger, so let me turn to. So I tuned in five minutes to turn, and they were singing some tree songs. I said, I don't think this is what. So I was telling my husband, somebody said, tune into each other. I said, yeah, what's happening? So I waited at 8.30 on the dots. I put it on, and I heard preaching. This is your pastor, Kweku Pencil, preaching to you. Hey, this boy was in my law school class with me. He's now a pastor. I couldn't believe it. And his messages were fiery. You wear anything to church, showing your breasts. Hey, I couldn't believe it. He says them. And when he finished, he said that. Come to my church. Hey, it's getting worse. The name of my church is the Lord Pentecostal Salvation. And don't say the name is too long. I said, no. This cannot be Kweku Pencil. And then, after the program, there was phoning. And people were calling, Pastor, you are just touching our lives every week. You are blessed. And Pastor, we just want to thank God for you. And Pastor, even the fact that you are a lawyer and you've been able to do this. I said, no, it's him. <laughs> 
So after the service, I sent a text. I said, preach, pastor, and don't stop. Then he sent me a text. I regret all the wasted years, and I want to catch up. So I went to church. I told Bishop Saki, look, those of us who have been grieving for a long time, we have to watch out. Because the latter people are coming with zeal. And if we will not do it, God will raise up other people. And I had seen him a few days before in a Chinese restaurant. I was with some guests. And I said, oh, how is the practice? Said, you, you've gone and then you are asking us how is the practice. So I didn't understand it. You know, the, why is he saying what he's saying? He said, I have a chambers, but there's a greater chambers. Yeah. You know? And when you come to those chambers, your problems will be solved. Then after that, he started to speak. Hey! He gave his all. So I regret the wasted years. I'm trying to catch up. And those of us who have been Christian for a long time, we're having a party. We are relaxed. And the one who says, hey, it's all also among the prophets. So we'll come and overtake you. <laughs> you will be surprised when she could no longer hide it. Your Isaac is something God will ask you for. And you have different Isaacs at different stages of your life. You don't have just one Isaac. That when you give it away, then that's it. A lifetime event is gone. Different Isaacs will come in. Sometimes your Isaac will not be money because you don't have much. But when you have much, the Bible says when you have built goodly houses and you've eaten well, then thou shalt remember because that is the time when you have the tendency to forget. So now we see you in church and you look so humble. Not because you are humble, but because you haven't been rich before. We are waiting. When God entrusts you with a little bit money, when we say something, you wave your left hand. The impudence and things that you will have in the church, it will not be easy for us. And then you look at people and say, eh, this one, just if me, if I had, I would support this. If I had out, it's not true. Wait till you get there. We all have different Isaacs. And this woman took the child and nurtured it. And sometimes and often, God gives us things for seasons. And even when the things leave our hands, they are still with us and for us. And they are still related to us. But it leaves our hands so that it will be better protected. And so that it will flourish better. And so that the enemy will be hedged off from that thing. And Pharaoh's daughters also, her season came. When Moses could no longer stay in the palace. But I think that the first three months, Jochebed transferred a spirit of faith. Because the Bible says, by faith, Moses forsook Egypt. Where did he find his faith? But he needed to come back to Jochebed's hand so that she would minister something. But if she hadn't, his destiny would also not have unfolded. Can it be that we have missed out many times on our part? When the seasons have come and we should act in a certain way in a certain season, we don't. And therefore, we foil God's plan for the things that come through us and with us. And when that happened and she gave Moses away. The Bible says that Moses went out and saw his brethren fighting. He's the seed of Jochebed. And whatever seed a woman brings forth will also suffer rejection. You have to suffer rejection before you receive acceptance. Otherwise, there will be no acceptance. So when Moses comes, he sees two Egyptians fighting. He sorts them out. Then now he sees two Israel, one Egyptian, one Israelite. He sorts the Egyptian out. Then he comes back. And sees two Israelis fighting. And he supposes that they will understand. Or they will see the way he's seeing. But they don't understand. 
And one says to him, who made you a ruler and a judge over us? The very places where you are rejected, that is likely that is the place God has called you to. The very places that self-doubt is introduced and fear interpreted, it is likely to be that place that God is calling you to. And often, that is where you receive the most questioning. Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? They didn't know anything. But then that small fight that he came to be involved in, they have to throw self-doubts. They have to throw suspicion on what God wants to do. They say, me, I'm the shy type. I can't preach. Me, I'm not the type to talk to people. Me, I'm not like this person. So Satan sends the person, who made you a ruler and a judge? And that was exactly the two callings that God had called him to. And often, when we receive that criticism, and that we turn away. Because we can't stand the heat. We say, it's okay. It's okay. I don't need all this. I'm going to leave it. But that is the place where you must persist. Because it is likely that the place where you are called to, that is the place of your rejection. The place where Jesus was called to, that's when Satan came and said, if you are the son of God. If you are. He was. But he would throw doubt in that area. If you are, then prove it by turning this stone into bread. But if you don't, then perhaps you are not. <laughs> if you be the son of God. Meanwhile, the reason why he had come to tempt him was because he was the son of God. But he will bring you questions. If you are the pastor, if you are a preacher, if you are a helps minister, if, are you really a Christian? Are you really a child of God? If, who made you? Meanwhile, God has already made you. From the birth of Moses, his destiny was there. God has already made you. But then when you look at where you've passed and where you are coming out, you've killed some Egyptian. And, you're saying, ah. and now your own brethren that you are called to, question what you are called to. And Moses then says, I have to flee. Another season has come in his life as well. And this is still Jochebed's seed going through different things. And sometimes the seed or investment God makes in you will also go through certain things. It will go through rejection. It will go through doubt. It will go through uncertainties. But it doesn't mean it's not there. The Bible says in Acts that Moses was a man powerful in word and in deed. But when God appears to you, he says, I can't speak. I'm a stammerer. I didn't say it. Acts 7 says that he was powerful in word and in deed. He was a great speaker. But the experience had made him a stammerer. So now when God comes to him, the guy says, not me, Aaron. Aaron speaks better than I do. Send him. Could it be that your doubt is so much, your self-doubt and low self-esteem is so much that God cannot use you for anything? What do you see? There's no life that will not come with rejection. There's no life that will not come with being looked down on. People will say all sorts of things about you. When Jesus came to say that, they took him to the brow of the hill to kill him. He said, if you are the king of the Jews, come down. And he was. If you really approve it by coming down from the cross. And he stayed there. But he stayed there for a purpose. Because he wasn't going by the pleasures of men. He was going by what God had asked him to do. Amen. Who made you a ruler and a judge? And then Acts 7 says, this same Moses whom God had chosen to be a ruler and a judge over his people. The same Moses was being asked that, who are you? What are you? 
Where do you come from? In this world, there's so much negativism. And unless we keep our focus, we will not see the things God sees. Daughter, what do you see? May you see as God sees. The problems will be there. The contrary will be there. The nevertheless will be there. But you've got to see. So you look at your marriage, you say, oh, Lady Pastor, this one is ashes. That's why he said, bring it and I'll give you beauty. Ashes. It's, it's bent. It's finished. There's nothing in it that you should have hope for. But because he's a miracle working God, you can trust him. Your life is ashes. So how can something beautiful come out of this? How can it be? Germany was raised to the ground in ashes. But today is part of the G7. You know? So the fact that it's ashes, we, when we see the ashes as human beings, we weep and we say, this is it. Nothing can come out of ashes. But God said, give me, I will give you beauty for ashes in exchange. But if you don't give the ashes to him, he cannot give you beauty. And some of us are holding on to our ashes, crying over our ashes, and are not giving them up and surrendering him to him. Daughter, what do you see? <laughs> you see your past, your mistakes, your weaknesses, your brokenness. Or do you dare to trust him by faith? By faith. Faith calls those things which be not as though they were. Without faith, it is impossible. And I think it's true. Without faith, you won't go on with certain things. Without faith, you will stop doing so many things. It is impossible to please him. But they that come to him must first believe that he is, that he exists. And also, he's not a punisher. He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. May you stop seeing yourself in your past. May you stop seeing yourself in the mold that people have cast you into, who made you a ruler and a judge. But may you see a goodly child. May you see potential. And may you cooperate with the Holy Ghost in the various seasons that God takes you through. May you come to that place where you would say, this is the Lord's doing. And it's marvelous in our eyes. Stand to your feet, please. I just want us to pray. I want to say, Lord, you know, I see things differently from my human perspective. I see things through my experience. I see through things through my hardships. I, I see things through the disappointments I've had. I've see, I see things through what I've been told and the doubtful slurs that have been cast over my life. I see things through what I'm going through. But I need a higher place to see you and to see things from your perspective. I'm pressing on the upward way. New heights I'm gaining. Please help me. In every day. Lord, plant my feet on high. I'm pressing on. Every day.
upward praising. New heights I'm gaining every day. what we have to be. Open your mouth and speak to God. Daughter, what do you see? Son, what do you see? Pray that God will correct your vision. Just like you have glasses to correct your vision, pray that God will correct your vision. God will correct your heart to see things from his perspective. Pray that you will be malleable in his hands to know the different changing seasons, to understand what is happening in your life. To understand opportunity and to understand change. Oh, Father, help us. Help us in our walk with you. Strengthen us in our walk with you. Help us, oh God, correct our vision. Correct us. Help us to see with the eye of faith. Help us to see with the heart of believing, Lord. Help us, O oh God, for your word says the just shall live by faith. The just shall not live by his feelings. The just shall not live by what people say. But the just shall live by faith. Oh God, lift us up, O oh God, and cause us to stand in our high places. Your word says that you make our feet like hinds feet. And you cause us to stand in our high places. Only you can do that, Lord. I come against any self-doubt. I come against any low self-esteem. I come against any spirit that has fought your people. I come against a spirit of condemnation, a spirit of rejection, a spirit that, Lord, cripples your people and stops them from becoming all that they have to be. I pray, oh God, for corrected vision, corrected vision supernaturally. Oh, in the name of Jesus, to those who have given up hope, to those who have grown weak, I pray that the feeble knees shall not be turned out of the way. But I pray that the lame feet shall be healed. I pray for healing for the lame feet, oh God. I ask for a strengthening from your presence. I ask for renewal of strength. Your word says you restore our souls. Because our souls go through times when they are tired. Oh, I pray that you will restore our souls. He restoreth my soul. Let your promise come to your people. Restore souls tonight. Restore souls this afternoon. Restore the joy of our salvation. Restore our strength, oh God. Give us a new face, a new place of our walk with you, Lord. Even when we don't understand, give us the grace to believe, the grace to trust. Let healing come. Let restoration come. Let revival come. Strengthen the weak hands. Strengthen the weak hands. Send forth your word to heal your people today, Lord. And 
deliver us from all our distractions. Oh God, let there be a turnaround. Let there be a new face in ministry, in our walk with you. Lift us up to a higher plane. Oh God, we have seen not the way we should see. But forgive us, for in you there's no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Oh, even your mercy triumphs over judgment. So no matter how we are judged, your mercy will triumph. Oh, let there be a revival. Let there be a restoration. Restore unto us the joy of our salvation. Some of us have lost our joy. Some of us have lost our strength. Some of us have lost our will to fight. Some of us have lost hope. The restorer and nourisher of our lives. Become a restorer and a nourisher to them. Like you were to nail me, oh God. Let there be restoration. Let there be nourishment from your throne. Oh, you sent the angel to Elijah. And you said, eat, arise and eat for the journey is long. I pray that your people will eat tonight. This afternoon, your people will arise. This afternoon, your people will eat. And you will set them off on their way. On a new journey. On a new face. Oh, Holy Spirit, you are the comforter. You are the strengthener. You are the one who encourages. You are the one who is called to stand by. Do your work. Do your work. Great physician, touch your people. Where no surgeon's knife can touch. Where no one can correct. Where things have gone out of hand. Miracle worker Jesus. Hear the prayers of your people. Oh, we are going to see your way. Because you will give us the grace to do so. For you are at work in us, oh God. Both to will and to do of your good pleasure. The will does not come for us. The ability does not come from us. We depend on you totally. We are helpless children. We are helpless children. Apart from you, we can do nothing. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for a new face. Thank you for new things. Thank you for revival. Strength is coming. The Lord is the strength of our lives. The Lord is the strength of our lives. The Lord is the strength of our lives. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name. Thank you, Jesus. great having you today. To find out more about the resources available by Adelaide Heward Mills, please visit at the Kodesh, North Kaneshi, or meet her on Facebook at Adelaide Heward Mills. For prayer and counseling, please call 0243-187-900. You can also drop us an email at honeyonmylips at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Until next time, God richly bless you.